The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name's Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I am a father of five, if you didn't know. So uh, uh, thank you for all the preachers that preached for me while I was gone. Huge blessing that you guys filled the pulpit for me, did a great job. Also, thank you for all of the meals that have been brought. One of the great things about our church is that when somebody has a baby, uh, we their MC in the church provides meals, uh, dinners for them for the next two weeks. And that's just, it's just a huge evidence of grace. Um, it's the, you know, the, one of the main reasons why we didn't stop at four and we had a fifth. And <laughs> the meals were so dang good. I'm ready for six. You know what I mean? So now our kids every week, every day, they're like, dad, who's bringing dinner tonight? What are they bringing? Um, it's, it's awesome. And we had a, a really neat experience this, uh, this past week. We had someone signed up to bring us a meal and we didn't know who it was. And little, it's a little awkward, you know, you're the pastor and then somebody's coming into the house making you a meal and I'm like, hi, I don't know who you are. And they told me, and they, the reason I didn't know who they are is because they joined our church in the middle of quarantine, in the middle of all this chaos. They've been at mask services and it's just hard to tell people by their foreheads. So I, did, I couldn't decipher their foreheads when they came in. But it was just a, a cool evidence of God's grace that throughout this year of chaos, that God has still been building his church. God has still been adding to his church. And it was, uh, it was just a huge blessing for us. So, and also we've, got, we've had like 10 babies born within the last like 10 weeks. And they're almost all girls. I don't know what that means. I'm not trying to read too much into it, right? At first, I thought there was something in the water, but then I did the math and realized, wait, wait, you weren't even here during that time. You were at home. So it couldn't have been anything in our water. But, and what that means is, think about that. You know, 14 dinners times 10 babies. That's over 140. Did I do my math right? Right? Yeah. All right. Checked with my daughter. 140 meals in the past 10 weeks that have been made by our church for each other. That is what gospel hospitality looks like. That's a piece of what gospel hospitality looks like. We're going to the grocery store and we're buying food, not just for us, but for somebody else. Right? We're not just reaching down and grabbing the leftover chips in the, in the pantry and throwing it in there, but we're actually making them something great. It's just been a huge blessing for your pastor's heart to see how our church has responded, even in the midst of chaos of this past year and loving each other well all across um, our city. So I wanted to say thank you for all those who made meals and thank you for those who preached for me. And now let's get into it, all right? So I already said I'm the lead pastor here at the church and one of uh, my primary responsibilities here at the church is to kind of set the vision for our church, to develop godly leaders, to accomplish our mission, and then to teach you the Bible. I do this all joyfully, hoping to build up the body of Christ here and create a unified body of Christian believers that would glorify God in the Quad Cities. This is what God's called me to do. When he, Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 28, we're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or obey all that Jesus commanded. That means one of my primary jobs is to teach you how to live all of your life under the lordship of Jesus. That means we need to learn what Jesus teaches and says about everything. Not just how to get to heaven when we die, but what does Jesus teach about fill in the blank. Now, this was really, this was revealed in the, in the craziness of this past year that our church needed more 
biblical teaching. We needed more doctrinal content to help us shape the way we think about God, the way we understand scripture, the way we understand what Jesus said, and to understand the world that we're living in. Now, in years past, it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, if you didn't get enough here, you could always go do a Bible study there. You could always download something on the internet. You could always go listen to this preacher, that, that podcaster, whatever, to fill in the gap. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there is something that we need to recognize, and Steve talked about it in his sermon. We do need to recognize there is something a little dangerous about going outside of your home church for biblical teaching and training in righteousness. So there is something dangerous in, in, in saying, um, in, instead of like, I'm not going to listen to my pastor, I'm going to go listen to somebody else's pastor to get some teaching. The Bible warns specifically against this, and it says this, do not accumulate teachers for yourself to suit your own passions in Timothy 4 verses 3. What is, what is he saying there? We all like a certain flavor, okay? We all have certain opinions and we're made in such a way that we want to go find teachers that teach us what we already believe to be true. We go and we want to find a podcast or a preacher that agrees with us already and we create these little things called echo chambers that just regurgitate back to us what we already believe about the world and God. And the apostle says we need to be very careful not to do that because when, that, when we do that, we, be, we can become more influenced by some preacher in some other city or country than we are by our own pastors. And here's where that creates a problem. Those pastors, they are not responsible as shepherds to your soul. The pastors at this congregation are. And those pastors might just be teaching something that is just a little bit off from what we believe or what we teach here at Sacred City. And what happens is when you're one degree off and pressure starts getting put on, divisions start happening. And this is interesting. No less than 10 times in the New Testament, the Bible teaches that elders are called to teach sound doctrine and to protect the church from those who teach things contrary to sound doctrine. Now, I cannot, I cannot police your podcast feed, nor do I want to. But what we can do here is teach you sound doctrine so that you will not be, in the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians, you will not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And one of the main ways that we're trying to do that at Sacred City is obviously through the pulpit, what we teach on Sunday morning, we're trying to promote the unity of our church by teaching sound doctrine here on Sunday morning, but also on our Sacred City Life podcast. Now, for this past year, we've been working through the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you don't know what that is, you need to listen to the podcast. We'll teach you all about it. But it's a little systematic theology to teach you the doctrines of the Bible. We, I do that with my, my pastoral residents. I sit down, we chop it up, we talk, talk about it, we go a little bit deeper to help us understand doctrine, who God is, what he's done, how he's made the world. We've also been on that podcast going, quote unquote, beyond the sermon. We have some kind of controversial thing we're talking about on Sunday. People ask us questions. We answer the questions on the podcast. And then lastly, we've been discussing some current events and issues from a biblical worldview to help us follow Jesus and the everyday rhythms of life. Now, I say all this because this resource is in it. The elders believe this is an important tool for your discipleship. I know many of you have been listening to it. You've been blessed by it. You've been emailing me and sending messages and saying something to the effect. I didn't know we had this. I didn't know how good this was. Why, we need to get everybody to listen to this, okay? So here is my one plug, my one self-seeking, selfish plug to say, we've made this podcast for your discipleship. You should listen to it. But hey, don't trust me, right? Go listen to it for yourself and see if you like it. If not, you know, whatever. I I, what can I do, right? All I can do is lead a horse to water. I can't make him drink. So we hope it's a blessing to you. We hope you listen to it because, listen, I know it feels like we might be coming out, we are coming out of a really divisive season and a really difficult season, but I promise you we're heading into another one, okay? 
And we need to develop good doctrine now, right? We need to develop good doctrine now. So we've got that podcast for that because in the uncertain future of our, sec- our current secular society, we are going to experience all kinds of situations that are going to threaten to divide us as a church. And sound doctrine is what unites us. That's the solid bedrock that we can anchor our lives into to endure the storms of life. And that is exactly what today's sermon is all about. So if you could open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And I am going to pray for us and ask Jesus to bless the preaching of his word this morning. Father God, you are a good God. You are a good God that calls us in to worship and enjoy you. And for that, we are grateful because you are the meaning of life. Tonight or this morning now, Father, I ask that you would help us humbly listen to your word, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that it would be all of you and none of me, that you would use your word to turn the lights on in our soul. Use your word to show us areas in our heart that have went off track and maybe we're not even aware of it. And would you bring us back to you? Would you do this all for the good of our souls, for the good of our church, and for the good of our city, and for the glory of your name? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's go ahead, look at our text. Let's read the text one more time. Verse 24 through 27, really common section of scripture. If you grew up in the church at all, You've heard this a hundred times, but it's still really important. And don't let it's, don't just let its familiarity confuse you or fool you. There's still some really good stuff in this. So let's read it. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. And the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. All right, let me paint you a picture this morning to illustrate the lesson that Jesus is teaching. Imagine two people with big plans to build their dream house, right? They've been thinking about it for a long time. They've been, you know, hiding away pennies and hiding away savings for a long time, planning for this day. Now, for me, that's not too hard to think about because I built a few houses in my day and currently in my neighborhood, they're building a new subdivision. So every day I get to drive by and see the progress that's being made. And so, This is the scene that Jesus has set. We have two builders building on lots that are right across from one another. And what's fun about building like that, if you've ever been on a framing crew or anything like that, is you're in a little bit of competition with the guys across the street. Let's see who can build this house the fastest, the best, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look what they're doing over there, a bunch of hacks, right? And Jesus is kind of laying this scene out. Now think about it. These two builders dreaming about it, saving, planning, practicing the whole deal. And now all of a sudden, it's finally time to break ground and build, build uh, and begin construction, right? Day one, they both show up with their tools and their truck, 7 a.m., and they are ready to rock and roll. Now here's what's, where it gets interesting. Person one spends all day in the dirt. Digging, busting up rocks, removing roots, going down. In fact, the first day he builds no structure at all. From the untrained eye walking by or driving by, you look and that looks less like a home than it did the day before because now there's just holes and piles of dirt and a bunch of junk all over the place. Meanwhile, on day one, Person two, with visions of shiplap and barnhouse chic in their mind's eye, already has walls up. By the end of the week, the roof is going on. Driving by and looking at their progress, person number two appears to be killing it. 
They finished the construction of their house a week sooner than person one and $12,000 cheaper. Who needs all that concrete anyways? And here's what's interesting. When you drive by the, fit, the completed projects here, you drive by from the street, you look at both of these homes and they look very similar. From the street, you can't see any real differences in them. Both look sound, both look safe, both look good. Both look like they just came out of the Magnolia Homes catalog. But then one night, the rains come and the winds blow. And this isn't just some nice little sprinkle. No, 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 the rains pour and beat down on the, on the house and saturate the ground and the ground can hold no more water. And now the rains turn into a flash flood and lifts up the second house off its foundation and throws it down and crashes it and everything is destroyed through the power of the current through the power of the water. Now, I have seen this happen. And some of you here have seen this happen because about 11 or 12 years ago, I took about 20 of you down to Atlanta and we served in inner city Atlanta and we were a part of this crew that went in. There was a 100 year flood that happened and they had just built new subdivisions and the waters went outside of its bank and got in to the street and flooded the streets and lifted half a million dollar homes off their foundations and threw them down in the creek. And they were all a complete and utter loss. Now, meanwhile, in house number one, the one who spent all week digging and pouring that foundation, the rains still come, the winds still beat against the house, the water still rushes and threatens to move it off its foundation, and yet it remains steadfast and cannot be removed. And so everyone in the home is saved. That's the picture Jesus is painting. He's saying, he's trying to teach us, this is a parable about life. It teaches us a lot of things. One, every human being is meant to be a builder. You're here to build. You're here to build a life. You're here to build a career. You're here to build a family. You're here to build a home. You're here to build a business. You're here to build a church. You're here to build a city. You're here to build a country. Every human being is here to build something. And when we're building, it is inevitable that you build on some kind of foundation. There's something at your core. There's something at the bottom that you're building your life on, that you're building your family on, that you're building your city on. And here's why that matters. Every single person is going to go through storms meant to test or reveal what it is that is your foundation. I say a lot of, around here, every, all of us have to go through enough in this life to kill us. None of us make, us make it off this planet alive. That's how much junk you gotta go through. That's how many storms you have to go through. The question is, will, will what you are building right now withstand the storms of life? Every father should think long and hard about that question. Every mother, every business owner, every leader. What I'm doing now, will it last the storms? This past year has revealed the weakness of many of our foundations. Many churches won't last. Many businesses couldn't last. Right? Storm came, we weren't prepared. And of course, Jesus isn't just talking about our physical life. He's also talking about our spiritual life as well. Remember last week, Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is the most terrifying verse in all the Bible, in my opinion. That's why I gave it to Alex to preach and I didn't do it. <laughs> What he's saying is, 
to me, your youth pastor lied to you. When you were taught, all you have to do is pray a prayer and say, Lord, Lord, and ask Jesus come into your heart and that's it. That was a lie. That was bad theology. That was completely contrary to the words of Jesus right here. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody says Jesus, not everybody that wears the what would Jesus do bracelet or puts the fish on their car or comes to church is actually going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. No, what does he say? He goes on, he says, on that day, on that day, the last day, the day we stand before the face of God, people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, we did a lot of Jesus-y stuff. Remember this? We said, Lord, Lord, and we also did a lot of Jesus-y stuff. Isn't that enough to, to allow us in? And Jesus says, no, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, what is that showing? This is a terrifying scene. Every single human being will stand before the almighty, all-seeing God one day. And when you stand before the almighty, all-seeing God, un Beneath his eyes, everything in our hearts is uncovered and laid bare. He sees us to our core. He knows every thought, every feeling, every desire, everything we've ever done, every ill word we've ever spoken. And we're gonna stand there and have to give account for the way that we lived our life. That's the final storm that we're all going to have to experience. We're gonna go through economic downturns, we might go through pandemics, we might go through divorce, we might go through abuse, we might go through losing our job, we might go through a lot of different storms in this life, but it's all meant to prepare us for one ultimate storm, the wrath of the almighty God that we will have to stand in his presence face to face with on that last day. And some people will pass through that storm into a blissful eternity with God where they will flourish forever and others, like the parable shows, will be utterly destroyed. Eternally destroyed. Again, the question is, how do we make it through that? How do we build a life that lasts both the storms of this life and the ultimate greatest storm that awaits us at the judgment seat of God? Jesus, thankfully, answers that question for us this morning. He doesn't leave us questioning. And he does that by contrasting two types of people. One, he calls the wise person and the other he calls the foolish person. Jesus says really clearly, person number one who built his house on a solid foundation is wise, while person number two is foolish, or it's the word moros in the Greek, which actually means moron, so Jesus is literally saying, or the moron builds his house, his life, his family, his identity on a foundation of sand. Now, why does Jesus make these judgments and determine one person wise and the other a moron? We don't like that. We don't like to divide people. Uh, but here's the reality, because that's how the world works. If you go out into this beautiful, fertile Iowa soil and you start building your house on that soil, right? It will look beautiful. You could put $100,000 into all your building materials and whatever it is. And that thing looks great. And every year as the rains come and the, and the storms come and as the frost freezes, that house is going to get like a foot smaller every single year. It's just going to sink into the ground. And anybody that sees anyone building like that, anybody that has a lick of sense goes, that guy was a moron. That guy didn't know anything about the way the world works. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. Jesus says this, the wise person knows truth and lives in line with it. Okay? Here, here. To be wise, you have to have true knowledge, but knowledge isn't enough. 
You have to have the right use of knowledge to be wise. So a wise person both understands the power of the wind and chooses not to spit into the wind. We got that, right? You can understand the wind. Like, I hate to use, I just use examples for kids all the time, but kids are not wise. <laughs> Don't do that. I told you not to do that, right? Don't jump off the roof. That kind of sounds like a dare, <laughs> right? You shouldn't spit in the wind. Oh, now I understand it, right? A wise person understands the truth, the reality, but also chooses to obey it, to live within it, to be under it, to be in line with it. So in this story, the wise man knows how God has made the world. That's the truth. And he, understand how, he understands how the world works because of the way God made it. And he conforms himself to it. Listen, the wise man believes the world that God has made is something, listen, that I must fit myself into. Our world is made by God in a certain way. He's written laws of nature and he's given us the ability to study his creation and learn things about his design. When you look at this story from our, you know, 21st century lens, think about all of the things that were necessary for this construction worker to know in this story. Right? He had to have a, a working knowledge of gravity. Hey, guess what? Gravity somehow pushes down on things and you have to build a foundation or it will sink. And also you have to construct things to resist the force of gravity so when the wind blows, that thing doesn't just cave in. Right? And a roof, is, it's meant to spread out the downward pressure upon the walls and be strong. You had to understand that. That's the way the world works. Gravity is a real thing. You had to have... I, had to, I just learned this one. Petalogy. That is a study of soil. If we got any petologists in this room, I don't know if we do. But what do I mean, the study of soil? Guess what? Iowa dirt is different from Arizona dirt, which is different from California dirt, which is different from Colorado dirt, right? Try to dig. In, my brother is a home builder in Colorado, right? The whole thing is a mountain, you're digging through rocks wherever you're at. Now, why do I have to know that? Because it determines the type of foundation that I need. In Iowa, you gotta go basically 42 inches deep to get below the frost. If you're not below the frost, you put a foundation in that's three feet, this frost is gonna heave that up and it's gonna move the foundation, it's gonna break your house apart. So the worker had to understand the way, the type of soil they've got and the way the soil is gonna to react to the elements. He had to have a little bit working knowledge of meteorology, right? How is, what's the weather look like? How cold does it get? How much rain can I expect? How's that, how's the weather going to affect my house? Do I need a flat roof? Do I need a pitched roof? What pitch do I need to make my roof? He needs to know all of this stuff. He needs to take all of this into account. He even needs to understand hydrodynamics and history. What do I mean by that? Water is very powerful and water will lift a house off its foundations and throw it away if you get enough of it. So how much in the last hundred years, what's the greatest flood we've ever had? I need to build my house to withstand that just in case it comes. The wise man has, understands the world and the way God has made it and he conforms himself to it. His building practices must be in line with the way God made the world. The foolish person just watches HTTV and does whatever the heck they want to do. The foolish person doesn't build in line with God's truth. Now, a, a person might, they might say, as many do today, that I'm the builder. As a builder, it is my right to build things however I want to build them. Well, it, that is your life. That is true. You can do what you want to do. You can live your truth and seek to shape the world or expect the world to conform to your truth. You can try to do that. The problem is 
The universe doesn't care about your truth. The universe will crush and destroy anything that isn't in line with God's truth. You say, well, I don't like that. I say, I'm sorry, you, you don't have to like it, right? That's the way God made the universe. You don't like the, the ways he made it? Get your own universe. The universe was created by God, and listen, it's governed by physical laws, moral laws, spiritual laws. And here's the principle. If you break them, they break you. If you break them, they break you. That's, that's the principle. Doesn't matter if you feel like you can fly. You get on the top of the barn and you jump off and your feelings have a hard encounter with truth. Well, that's not fair. Who said anything about fair? This is the way the world is made. Now, that's, physically, that's, that's physical laws, but the, the, the moral laws that God's written into the universe are the same way. Jesus has taught us all through this Sermon on the Mount about moral laws. Talk about the laws of lust. He says, no, 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 it's not enough just to not commit adultery. Don't even lust after a woman or a man in your heart. If you're lusting, you're already committing adultery. Now our society says, <laughs> yeah, whatever. That sounds puritanical. Jesus was a Puritan before the Puritans were Puritan. I don't like them rules. So we reject them. And how is it going for us? Our society is really built on lust. Our economy is built on lust. Our people are becoming more and more selfish. They're seeing other human beings as, as objects to gratify their own desires instead of other human beings made in the dignity and value of, and worth in the image of God, right? We're becoming more and more addicted to pornography. Our music is getting more and more pornographic. Our, our movies, our entertainment is all going down that way. People are being, are, are deeply unsatisfied and dissatisfied and divorce is very high and people aren't getting married and it's wreaking all kinds of havoc on our society. Why? Because we think we're smarter than Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you build on any other foundation, the house is gonna collapse. One of the reasons our problem in our society right now is our country has left the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we should not be surprised when the house begins to collapse. What else did Jesus say? Jesus said, talked about money, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's he saying? If, all of, if, if money is your foundation for life, the reason you chose your career, the reason you chose everything, it's all about money, guess what? That money's gonna rust you know, it's going to get stolen. You're going to lose it. It's going to be at the mercy of the market. And then ultimately when you die, you don't get to take it with you. And so that money utterly fails you as a foundation for life. Jesus says, the wise man both accepts the truth and conforms his behavior to it. Jesus here is teaching us how to build a life that outlasts every storm here and the ultimate storm that's coming in the wrath of God. Look at our text. Look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay. Jesus says two things. Two things about having the right foundation. Number one, First, we must know the truth. He says, hear these words of mine. My words are truth. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. That's what the incarnation is all about. The word of God puts on flesh and dwells among us. Jesus says, I am absolute truth. You must 
listen and hear and know and study and understand and memorize my words. And yet, knowing is not enough. We must also do them. So the first side of that, knowing the words of Jesus, can I ask you, are you consistently listening to the words of Jesus? Are you consistently trying to search the scriptures to discover what he says about everything? What does the Bible teach about immigration? What does the Bible teach about racism? What does the Bible teach about marriage? What does the Bible teach about sex and sexuality and gender? What does the Bible teach about personal responsibility? What does the Bible teach about government? What does the Bible, do you know that? If you don't, as a Christian, you should be very careful in spouting your opinions on those things. I want us to know the words of Jesus. I want us, every one of us, to be growing as theologians, understanding who God is, understanding what he's done, understanding how he's built the world, understanding ourselves in light of his story. But <laughs> I spend half my time saying, you gotta know this stuff. The other half saying, but knowing it ain't enough. Jesus says, knowing it ain't enough. James 2.19 says this, you believe that God is one, you do well. So what does he say right there? You believe that God is one, that's good theology. There's one God, Yahweh's his name. He's the only God. Every other God is idols. Step one, good theology. But then he says this. I'll read the whole thing. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What, what's he saying? That's a pretty scary reality that the devil and demons have better theology than we do. They know who God is. They've seen Jesus with what their eyes, spiritual eyes, whatever. They, they've been in his presence. They've listened to his word. They know what he taught. They saw his person. And guess what? They don't love him. They don't obey him. So many of us, we, want to, we walk around like theological bobbleheads and we just try to get all this information into our heads. But if you look at our lives, we're not actually doing any of it. You know what Piper says and MacArthur says and Keller says and Wilson says, but you're not doing anything. The devil has better theology than you. But knowing isn't enough. Jesus says, you must put my words into action. What does that mean? Your life needs to be conformed to the way Jesus built the world. We need to be growing week in and week out and shaping our lives because we're always going off track. We're always building on different foundations and we have to be bringing ourselves back to Jesus. And going, I didn't know he taught that. I didn't, I've never read that scripture before. I didn't understand that he spoke it. Oh, and we're constantly reforming our life and practice according to his word. Jesus says, if you want a life that can weather any storm, including the final wrath of God, you must build your life on Jesus. This is the word of God and Jesus is the word of God made flesh. So I'm talking about building on the word of God. I'm talking about building on Jesus. You must conform. Here, I know we don't like conformity around here. We're Americans. We've been rebels from the get-go. But the Christian must conform his life to the word of God. We don't use Jesus to make us feel good, to get a little help to do what we already want to do in our life. We must hear his words and obey them. Jesus must be the solid foundation of your life. Now, I want us to see just for a moment how drastically different this concept is to what our society is teaching us. 
Every, nearly every song you're listening to, every YouTube video, every movie you watch, every television show that you binge on Netflix, everything is pumping this message into your brain to get it to be so automatic that you don't even realize you believe it. And that is this. Our American society says, you don't have to accept things as they are given to us by God in nature. There is no truth. Capital T, truth. Everyone has their own truth that is determined by their feelings. And we are being taught to build our lives on the foundation of ourselves. And what is our self? Ourselves, we have determined, is something that's internal, highly sexual, and above all outside critique. So what does that mean? Soon as I find myself, nobody has a right to say anything to myself. You must acknowledge myself and tell me that myself is good. I've determined what myself is and you must say that I'm good. No one has a right to criticize anybody else's highly internal sexualized self. Jesus says, that is a recipe for ultimate failure. If you build your life on the foundation of yourself, you won't be able to withstand the storms of life. Now, why is that the case? Because this is not your universe. What most people do is they live their life the way they think is best, and then when they die, they stand before God and hope he will conform to their universe. They live life the way they want to live life, the way they think is best, and then on the great throne judgment of God and they're standing before God, they're hoping he will conform to their universe. I want you to act the way that I want you to act. They are betting their entire eternity on the false belief that ultimate reality will conform to their wishes. Think about how arrogant that is. Jesus says, that's not the way the world works. You can stand out in the middle of a storm and you can say, I, I, do, I will not get wet. Well, if that's your truth, who am I to say that? I gotta, I'll say, you're soaking wet, bro. What are you talking about? That's not the way the world works. That's not the way eternity works either. Jesus says there's two people building a life. On the outside, everything looks the same. But when you get down to it, one builds on the foundation of itself. The way I want to do things. My world, I'll do what I want. My body, I'll do what I want. My soul, I'll do what I want. One, that's bad theology right there. You are not your own. You're bought, body and soul, by our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. Person number two builds his life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. On the outside, they look similar, but only one will be able to withstand the, the tests of life and the final test, the face of the almighty, holy God of the universe. The one who dares to stand before God on the foundation of their self, their own truth, will be utterly destroyed by reality itself, by capital T truth itself, by the flood of God's wrath. But the one who stands on Christ will not fall. Now why? Why is that the case? It's interesting when you read this story and you try to think of it from Jesus' perspective. 
because ultimately Jesus is the only person who knew the word of God perfectly, right? Because he is the word of God. And he's the only person who obeyed the word of God totally. We believe that Jesus was sinless. That's a radical claim, but he claimed it for himself and the people that saw him knew. If your own mom will say that you're sinless and your brother too, oh boy, if your brother will say it, it's gotta be real. Jesus was sinless. So what should we expect? We should expect that Jesus' life stood the test of time, that the storms come and they can't destroy him. And yet what we see from the life of Jesus is almost the exact opposite. Jesus is the only person to have ever lived who never disobeyed God. He knew God's words perfectly and obeyed God's word perfectly. But what happened to Jesus? The storms of God's wrath fell upon him on the cross and he was utterly destroyed. Why? Because Jesus took our sin onto himself. He took our place as our substitute just like as Americans, we send different representatives to different countries to represent us for our good. Jesus became our representative and stepped into and stepped under the wrath of the almighty God and took it and drained every last drop of the wrath of God in our place. And guess what? Then, by the power of an indestructible life, he got up and he defeated death and he defeated hell and he defeated grave and he rose again, not just to say, ha ha, like a parlor trick, but to show us our future if we put our faith and trust in him and walk and practice the way of Jesus. Resurrection is coming. So I kind of like it. Our, the, our bodies are going to be destroyed. The house is going to come down. But guess what? It gets remade even better. There's going to be a demo day. But guess what? There's a remodel day coming too. This is the way the author of the book of Hebrews says it. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for they, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject who warns from heaven. Now listen. At that time, God's voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates, listen, the removal of things that are shaken that is things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Hold on. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's a lot of, that's kind of confusing, right? It's Hebrews. Hebrews is confusing. Here's what it's saying. Jesus says, everything not built on the foundation of myself will be destroyed. That's actually really good news for Christians because our God is a consuming fire that consumes everything that's broken, everything that's sinful, everything that's weak, everything that's brittle, everything that's not perfect. And one day is coming when Jesus Christ will sit on his white horse and come and bring renewal as a consuming fire over this earth and everything that is evil and everything that is broken and everything that is weak, he says there, will be shaken and destroyed but everything built on the foundation of Jesus Christ will be renewed. Like gold going into the furnace that goes in, goes in dirty and comes out purified. Everything built on the foundation of Jesus Christ gets renewed and gets restored and gets beautified. Guess what that includes? You, if you're in Christ. You. So we don't fear the judgment seat of God. That's renewal day. If our foundation is built in this life on Jesus Christ and his word, everything we build 
businesses, homes, families, careers, churches will be tested. And only what is built on Jesus Christ will stand. Please hear me this. I'm an American. I'm proud to be an American. We have no promise that this country is going to stand. We have a promise that everything built on Christ will stand. So this church is more important than this country. Christ's church is what lasts the test of time. No kingdom of man. Are you building your life on Jesus Christ? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. It cuts through all the baloney. It cuts through all the mirages that we try to live inside. It cuts through all the illusions. And it delivers capital T truth that we must conform ourselves to. I pray that you open eyes. I pray that you soften hearts. I pray that your word would produce fruit 30, 60, even 100 fold as your spirit applies it to the lives of your people. Jesus, thank you for taking our place. Thank you for being our substitute. And then thank you for giving us your righteousness so that we, through the power of your spirit, can now obey your word. Would you do it in us? I thank you for the supper Supper that reminds us of the work of Christ, but also renews our covenant with Christ, our foundation. This week, no doubt, everyone in this room has walked away from you in some way. We've disobeyed your word in some way. We haven't loved our neighbor like we love ourselves. We haven't pushed away from lust. We have worshiped money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so now we come to you for grace. We come to you and say, Father, I walked away, but once more I renew my covenant with you and I want my life built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you are so gracious. You welcome us every single week. Thank you for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.